Uh, our missions pastor can't be with us tonight, Roy Gale. His father, Roy Gale Sr., uh, you may know, is in very serious condition. In, he has been placed in hospice uh, uh, care, and it, it could be that the Lord may uh, choose to call him uh, home sooner uh, than we think. And he is about the most prepared person I ever heard of. He's a giant. He's just 70 years old, be 71 if the Lord allows that to happen. So uh, young uh, and a giant in the faith. Just returned not long ago from missions trip to Argentina. And he whispered to Roy Jr., our missions pastor the other day, he said to him, son, pray more. Read the Bible more. Preach the word more. Isn't that something for a father to pass on to a son? Oh, my heavens, really wonderful. So I told Roy we would pause, if you don't mind, to pray. And especially for Mrs. Gell, the two uh, have become one. And these are some difficult and challenging days for her in particular. So let's pray, if you don't mind. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for this ready access to the throne of grace we have and which we yearn for the people in Yemen to have as well and all people groups. Uh, we enjoy the privilege of coming before you and beseeching you simply to act out your loving character on behalf of the Gell family and what a family it is. We thank you for the marvelous heritage and influence Mr. Gale has had on children and grandchildren. And we surely do trust you to make the best decision about the timing of his home going. In the meantime, we ask for special grace and comfort, especially for Mrs. Gale, who is related uh, to this loved one in a very unique and special way. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for a life well-lived, and we would love to see it extended as long as you see fit. And if not, we really, really do trust that Father knows best. Thank you for Roy Jr., also rock solid, just like his dad. And we're so blessed uh, for the heart you have given him and for the capacity he has been given to impart his heart for world outreach to us. Please bless the family as they gather together now, even as we are gathered together here. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about world outreach and missions, it occurred to me that our missions team is providing for us next week, immediately after the service, a missions ministry coffee house. And it will be in the singles building, and everybody is invited. And we'll remind you next week, unless we forget, uh, you're invited to come, and there'll be good light refreshments, and you'll hear testimonies and get a little more information about uh, what our missions team is providing for us in terms of outreach opportunities here, there, and everywhere. So that'll be next week. Well, for now, let's continue our study on the Holy Spirit, no small task. We spoke about him in prior weeks, and tonight I would like to ask uh, your attention uh, so that we could speak specifically about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and this will do 
uh, tonight and Lord willing next week. And then I think we have a bit of a break and then we'll uh, conclude our study on the Holy Spirit uh, with an analysis of a relevant text pertaining to the gift of tongues, which causes even in our own day no small measure of difference of opinion. So we'll examine that uh, text in a few weeks to come. Uh, for tonight, I wanted us to look to some general principles concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's a controversial topic when you do this. And so some might even ask, well, if this is a controversial topic, why don't you just leave it alone? Why are you messing things up? Why do we have to address it anyway? And actually, I thought about that myself. We could be speaking about things much less controversial. But then I read this verse of Scripture, and we'll put it on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, uh, Paul speaking. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. And so when I read that, I thought, okay, Paul, that's all I need to here. If he, uh, an inspired authoritative apostle, didn't want them to be unaware of the nature of spiritual gifts, then neither uh, does he want us to be unaware. So we'll address the topic, even though I'm sure we'll find points of uh, difference and disagreement as I go through this. Now, I don't think what Paul meant in addressing the Corinthians is that they never heard of spiritual gifts. Oh, no. It was a major focus of their attention, if you're familiar with the situation in ancient uh, Corinth and in the church there. But they were unaware uh, of the specific and accurate nature of the gifts. And so, too, are so many in our midst even today. And so let me just mention tonight a few of the general principles uh, on this subject, and here's the first with reference to spiritual gifts. They are spiritual, uh, they are not natural. See, that's why we call them spiritual gifts. That's a big point. You see, you don't get natural gifts or talents and spiritual gifts in the same way. Natural gifts are also yours by God's doing, but natural gifts are given by God through your parents. Spiritual gifts are given by God directly to you by God. There's a big difference. You, you receive your natural talent and inclination simply by being born, but you receive your spiritual gift and enablement by being born again. So a natural talent is yours at birth, and a spiritual gift becomes yours at the point of spiritual conversion. A natural gift or talent is something that could be used for the general benefit of anybody. But I think you'll see as we study in particular, a spiritual gift seems really to be intended for the specific benefit and establishment in the faith of other believers. So the first thing to note about spiritual gifts is that they're much different than natural talents. Here's a second principle. There are a great variety of spiritual gifts. There are a ton of them. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are 
varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And so there we're told that spiritual gifts are diverse, yet they are sourced in the same uh, spirit. I want to let you know, in case you're unfamiliar, of the four places in the New Testament where there are lists of spiritual gifts so that at your leisure you could read these and, and kind of review these somewhat different lists. And, and so the spiritual gifts are listed in these four places in the New Testament. Romans uh, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Now, here's what you're going to run into uh, when you read these four lists of gifts. You're going to do it, as we all do, with a view towards locating yours. And some of you will uh, more easily than others be able to do so. But many others will uh, uh, find yourself being quite frustrated and confused because you won't see your specific gift listed in these four lists. Now, there's a reason for it. It's simple. They're not meant to be exhaustive lists of the gifts. Really, they're a sampling of the gifts. So the real issue is not for you to identify in those lists your particular gift. The real issue is for you and I to serve and in the course of serving, we will find out what we're good at and what we ain't. Uh, there's another thing about those lists of gifts. Be very careful about uh, trying to locate yours precisely because a lot of uh, us here have a kind of a blend of the gifts. And so uh, those are not enumerated in the uh, four lists of gifts given in the New Testament. But anyway, they're there for your reading pleasure when you get a chance. Now, not only are there a variety of spiritual gifts, as is indicated in those lists, there's also a variety of ways to use the same gift. So notice what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 5. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. So not only is there a diversity of gifts, there's a diverse way to manifest the same gift. So for instance... Uh, uh, two people could have the same gift, let's say the gift of helps, and one could use their gift of helps to help, let's just say, a needy single moms, while another can use his or her gift of helps uh, to provide some counseling support, let's say, at the local crisis pregnancy center. Uh, uh, two people could have the gift of teaching, and one could make good use of it, let's just say, uh, by teaching a a Bible study in his or her home. Uh, the other could make use of his or her teaching gift by meeting with three other folks over coffee at Starbucks. And so you see the great variety, and this is so that we don't unduly compare ourselves to one another. Not only are there different gifts, even if you have the same gift, uh, probably you're going to be manifesting it in different platforms of ministry. And then it even gets more diverse if you take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 6. Not only are there different gifts and different ways to express the same gift, you also get different results. 1 Corinthians 12, 6, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And so um, Billy Graham, uh, I think you would agree, has the gift of evangelism. Would you, would you agree with that? Am I stretching it uh, to say that? And so when Billy Graham... Uh, preaches, um, uh, it's quite a marvelous response to the greatest story ever told as it comes from him. 
hundreds and thousands at a given crusade will uh, respond. And uh, another one may have the gift of evangelism and is communicating the gospel to one person at a time and may, may be seeing different results from the same gift. So you have all this diversity in the body of Christ, and yet Paul says, notice this, in 1 Corinthians 12.4, they come from the same spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.5, the same Lord. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 12.6, the same God. Why does he emphasize the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God? It's because of the trouble that was going on in Corinth. Because of this marvelous variety in the gifts and in the expression of the gifts and in the fruit borne by the gifts, the Corinthians were having strata of spirituality. Some were considered to be more spiritual than others on the basis of certain gifts that they had and others did not have. And so the very thing that Almighty God gave us to pull us together so that we might build each other up became a bone of contention that separated and divided Christians in Corinth. And so Paul is trying to tell them there's tremendous diversity, but you must be united in seeing that the gifts are all sourced in the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. So let's try to remember those three phrases and stick together, though we may have some differences of opinion about the gifts of the spirit. So then thus far, uh, to summarize, we have said the following about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, one, we've said they are spiritual and not natural. And two, we mentioned that there's great variety of spiritual gifts. And now let me add this third principle to the list. They are given. Uh, it seems obvious, but apparently it is not obvious to some. You, you see, this is the nature of a gift. It is given. It is not earned, and it probably isn't even deserved. It surely isn't requested. You're done, just get it. It's called a gift. It's not a wage. It's not a salary. It's not a reward for good behavior. It's a gift, which by definition comes to the recipient of the gift entirely apart from them or anything they have done to merit it. So with spiritual gifts given by Almighty God, you don't do anything to get one. You just let Jesus Christ get you. And when he gets you as one of his sons or daughters, he chooses to give you good gifts. That's the way it is. So spiritual gifts are enablements given by Almighty God. Not my opinion here. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says it. But to each one is given. Doesn't say earned, doesn't say requested, doesn't say asked for, doesn't say deserved. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Did you know that the Greek word for um, spiritual gift is charisma? You know the word charismatic, charisma? And, and it means grace, grace. So the root word of spiritual gift is the word charisma, which comes from charis, 
which means grace. So a spiritual gift is given purely by the grace of Almighty God. They're entirely unmerited. And they are not, therefore, an evidence of one's spirituality. So my fellow Christians, could I encourage you to resist falling prey to those who say, if you do not have this or that spiritual gift, you do not have the level of spirituality I do. That is called sheer and utter nonsense. It's unbiblical. It's bunk. Now, please don't say at the end of our time together, well, Stuart, that's your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. No, I just read to you 1 Corinthians 12, 7. This is not my opinion. This is the word of God. So, so they come by God's grace. They do not come by our seeking after them. As soon as someone buddies up alongside of you and is encouraging you to seek a particular gift, you got to know right away that person doesn't know what he or she is talking about. Do you do you? Do you it's a gift. It's not a wage. So if you got it, you got it because God done gave it. That's the only way you get a spiritual gift. It comes from the Spirit of God by charis, by grace. That's the way it is. Here's another verse of Scripture just so that you, you don't dare say, well, that's just your opinion. Look, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Don't you see it? We call it a spiritual gift because it's given by the Spirit. So relax. Don't get yourself into these crazy little groups that are coercing you to reach higher levels of spirituality by coming into the experience of any one of a number of spiritual gifts, which can be yours if you just ask God for it. Come on. It's a gift. If you got it, use it. If you don't got it, leave it alone. It's a gift. All right. So since every Christian is given at least one spiritual gift, you want to know something? Every single Christian is really important to the cause. Think about it. Since every Christian has at least one spiritual gift, it means the rest of us need you. So there's another temptation I would like to encourage you to resist, and that is the temptation to feel insignificant and unwanted. <laughs> oh, no. The way God constructs local churches is to put in it the full assemblage of all the gifts needed for the church to get on down the road and glorify him if each person in the church is using his or her spiritual gift. There is no such thing as an ungifted Christian. Not possible. So if there is no such thing as an ungifted Christian, then every Christian has to use his or her spiritual gift for the good of the rest of the body. Every single person here who is in Christ has a place and a purpose in this local fellowship. It may not be the same as the person you're sitting next to, so we resist comparing ourselves to one another. But nobody is of more value and significance here than anybody 
else. You have to know the moment the Lord Jesus adopted you into his family, the moment you accepted him as your redeemer and savior, he gave you a gift so that you have something, some benefit to bring to the rest of us in the body of Christ. You're important. I must tell you something. If you're not here, someone very important is missing. If you're not serving, the rest of us are really going to miss out on something. So get on board. You're important to the cause of Christ. I love this passage still in 1 Corinthians. Take a look. Chapter 12, verses 14 to 18, about how important each is. For the body, that's the analogy Paul is using here of the physical body, because we could relate to it. The body is not one member, but many. We got lots of parts. In fact, my mother, who's about 91, uh, says to me all the time, Stuart, sometimes I think the good Lord made us with too many parts because hers are breaking down. You know what I mean? You get to be 91. So anyway, the body is not one member but many. And so if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, isn't God good to um, use humor <laughs> to teach this wonderful truth here? Uh, it, so if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, think of that, wouldn't that be humorous? Where would the hearing be? Well, my God... He has a sense of humor. This is hilarious stuff. If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. You may think you chose to be here, but based on the sovereignty of God, I don't think so. He placed you in his universal body, and I think in this local body in particular. You are of value. Please manifest your spiritual gift here. So then let's review the points made thus far about the gifts. One, they are spiritual, not natural. Two, there is great variety of spiritual gifts. Three, they are given. And now this last point for tonight, they are given for the benefit of others. This is very, very important. Now, though uh, if you're a serving Christian, undoubtedly you're finding great satisfaction in using your spiritual gift to serve, still your personal satisfaction is not the primary and principal purpose of your gift. Personal edification is simply not the primary purpose of a spiritual gift. Now, I um, introduce our future topic on the gift of tongues with this. I know there are some who say, no, I don't speak publicly in tongues. It's my private prayer language. And our own denomination is having some rather interesting discussions about this topic. And I'll say more down the road, but this will give you a chance to just arm yourself and, and uh, defend your position, maybe. Um, the problem I have with that thinking of the private prayer language for personal edification is that, by definition, it's totally contrary to the nature of spiritual gifts, which are given for the common good. Would you take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7 again? But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for personal edification. It doesn't say that. It says for the common good. You say, 
So this distinction between a public gift of tongues and a private prayer language, well, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. Hang in there. Don't go. Don't 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 get too mad yet. But but just fundamentally, right now, that just seems contrary to me uh, with what First Corinthians twelve seven is. They're given for the common good. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. By the way, the first place in the New Testament where we even read the term spiritual gift is in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Paul speaks there to Roman Christians, and in Romans 1, 11, he says, For I long to see you. Why? Well, in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. Now, some people think uh, that he means I'm coming to you with a bag of spiritual gift goodies. I'm like Santa. And, and I long to come to you so I can reach into my bag of spiritual gift goodies and give you gifts. No. What he's saying is I long to come not to give you a spiritual gift, but that I may utilize one of my spiritual gifts. Why? That you may be established. You see? He didn't say, I long to use one of my spiritual gifts so that I would feel good about myself and be personally edified and think I'm really cool and have special access to God. He said, I long to come to impart to you one of the manifestations of the Spirit given me, and here's the purpose, that you may be built up in the faith. So this whole notion of a private, any spiritual gift, I want you to tell me where you get that in the New Testament. I want you to show me that. Show me that. Now, I know we all have personal experiences. I understand that. But remember, we went way back over here when we started with the Bible. Neither church tradition nor personal experience is our highest authority. The Word of God is. So, so, all right. Word of God says the purpose of spiritual gifts is that we might establish, build up, encourage, and enlarge, strengthen the faith experience of our fellow Christians. That's their purpose. They are given, as the text says, for the common good. In other words, your spiritual gift is given to be given. Your spiritual gift is not given for you to selfishly use for your personal edification. Your gift is given to be given for the building up and strengthening of fellow Christians. So you know what all this means? It means, uh, spiritual gifts in our discussion, means that every Christian is at the same time weak and strong. That's the way it is. Every Christian is quite strong in the area of his or her spiritual gift, and at the same time, every Christian is rather weak in the areas of their non-gifting. That's how God did it, so that we would see a need for one another. We would be dependent on one another. And so we have some people here who have marvelous gifts of administration, but not a lick of mercy. <laughs> I think of Chuck at a time like, like this. <clears throat> and so when we get together, you see, you may be having a horrible day suffering one of the throes of life, and you don't want someone to get you organized. You want someone, figuratively speaking, to put their merciful arm around you and pray with you and sympathize with you, you see? So, so, 
So we're weak in our area of non-gifting, and we're strong in our area of gifting, and we come together and we strengthen those who are, are weak in their areas of non-gifting and receive from them strengthening in the areas of our non-gifting, and that really makes us quite interdependent. So the person who says, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to go to church, you don't know what you're talking about. You are clueless, and I have to even wonder if you're truly redeemed. Because you're so fundamentally flawed in your thinking, I just don't get it. What do you think? God saved you from something into some vacuum? He saved you out of the world and into the church. This is a family. This is a group experience, folks. That's why there's so many uh, opportunities in the Bible for us to read the phrase, one another, one another, one another. It doesn't say Lone Ranger one time in the New Testament. (laughs) I'm afraid we just, that's why we have to learn to be kind, to forgive, to get over it, to get along, and all the rest. Because we are stuck, literally, to and with one another for the purpose of getting down to the road together as kind of a building, fit together, strengthened, built up in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, he being the chief cornerstone. You get it? So let's stick together, okay, and let's not be fighting over... Uh, the things that usually we fight about. And even if we differ over a subject like this, let's not make it a test of fellowship. Good night. We still are in Christ Jesus, even if we see this differently. Don't you agree? Good. Well, I hope you do. Every believer has at least one gift, but we need each other because no believer has them all. That's why it says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So let's review what we've discussed tonight. First, uh, spiritual gifts are spiritual, not natural. Second, there's a great variety of spiritual gifts. Third, they are given. And lastly, they are given for the benefit of others. Now, Lord willing, next time we get together, we'll talk some more about the spiritual uh, gifts. And let me just mention to you, if you would like to go just a tad bit deeper and learn more, not just about spiritual gifts, but even how your personality and life experience is brought to bear on your area of service in the body of Christ, Uh, the church sponsors two times a year here what's called Living Proof Seminars, one of which is a servanthood seminar. Oh, it's not just spiritual gifts, because much more goes into finding your place of service than just gifts. As I say, it's your personality, it's your life experience. Anyway, if you keep your ears and eyes open, when we figure out when the next one is to be scheduled, we'll tell you about it. We'll put it in a bulletin or on the screens, and usually they're on Saturdays, and uh, uh, they go just midday, and usually there's a lunch, and it would be a great opportunity for you to be helped in doing a little inventory of your personality and your spiritual gifts and your life experience so that you could decide even now whether you're serving here in the right area or whether you need to reevaluate. So that's, that's a servanthood seminar, which we'll tell you more about in days to come. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has come to serve and not to be served, we must follow suit. So we have got to be about the business of serving one another. 
There was a time when the Salvation Army, you know about the Salvation Army, was having uh, one of its international conferences. And the keynote speaker was to be its founder, General William Booth. Uh, but shortly before the conference, he took ill and couldn't come. So instead, he cabled, uh, in the day that's all they had, by means of electronic communication, he, he cabled his entire message to the conferees. And it consisted of only one word, and it was this one, others. What a message. I'll bet one of the most striking of all times. How could you forget? Others, said General William Booth. It's all about others. It's not about you. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ setting the pace and laying no claim to his divine privileges, but laying aside all of that, being in flesh, taking on the form of a bond servant in order to come and serve us at an ultimate cost, that is his own sacrificial substitutionary death. In light of all that, we are to go and do likewise. I must tell you we are our brother and sister's keeper, not because we like our brother and sister, but because we are loved by and love in return the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, do you love me? And what's the standard by which our love for him would be gauged? He said, take care of my sheep. Isn't it good that he didn't say, like my sheep? That is so good. We don't have to like one another. And we don't. No, I'm kidding. We do, largely. But even when we don't, that's not the measure of the Lord's love. Even unsaved people can like one another who they get along with. He said, oh, no. The real mark of your love and devotion to me is that you'll feed, you'll enlarge, you'll nourish, you'll build into the lives of one another. You will not be a life diminisher. You will be a life enlarger. And we can enlarge each other's lives by serving one another in accordance with our God-given personality and temperaments and spiritual gifts. So my fellow bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is no loftier role and designation than that, my fellow bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's continue to serve one another for the cause of Christ until the time of his return. And Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to be involved, occupied with things that matter. Thank you for entrusting to us these spiritual enablements to bear spiritual fruit uh, that lasts, that remains, and that counts on into eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for valuing each of us, of course, as a son or a daughter, and then for bestowing upon us these marvelous spiritual gifts with which we can have something wonderful to offer one another. Help us each, therefore, Lord Jesus, to be actively engaged in encouraging and strengthening our fellow believers, particularly here in this place in which you have placed us, so that you would receive glory and so that onlookers would see in the way in which we care for one another living proof of a loving God. This we pray in your matchless and mighty name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.